Hey, everybody. Welcome to the No Film School podcast for the week of August 30th, 2023. I am Charles Hain, your host. As always, I am here with producer and screenwriter and director Gigi Hawkins. Hello. Screenwriter Jason Hellerman. Hello. And we have special guests this week. We have a couple of filmmakers with us, Matt Hershorn and Eric Cohen. Hello. Hello. And they are the extra special guests this week as we talk about a film they produced using guidance from Jason Hellerman. So that's this week on the No Film School podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so our first subject this week, we are talking about Jason Hellerman's amazing screenwriting guide and the influence it is already starting to have on filmmakers out there in the real world. Jason, do you want to do sort of a bigger intro about our guests today? I think you know them better than I do. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, No Film School had me write, a, you know, a big book on screenwriting. I just had to write a screenplay in 10 weeks. We released it during the early days of the pandemic when I figured people were reading and I knew people were trying to finish their spec screenplays. And along the way, I wound up catching up with a couple of buddies who I've just met through time in Hollywood, Matt Hershorn and Eric Cohen. And both of them were just talented writer directors who were talking about making a movie. And I, you know, had spoken with Matt and said, well, if you're going to do it, I know you know how to write a screenplay, but do you know how to write one in 10 weeks? So I sent him the book. We kind of kept in touch. And Matt and Eric since then have raised the money, shot a feature film. You know, we're talking to distribution people right now, you know, figuring that out. I think we'll hear more about that today. And I'm just really excited to see, you know, how this script came together so fast, how they, you know, read the book, did whatever, but also like, used some key screenwriting elements to put together a movie that you could actually shoot on an actual budget and get it done. So, you know, we're very excited to have you guys with us here today. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. I've been listening for many years and this has been very, very helpful throughout. Thank you. I remember when that was happening. It was before I had any affiliation with No Film School and and it was peak pandemic and I was still learning how to figure out a story and how to write. And I remember that the, the like, like pop up on No Film School saying like, write a screenplay in 10 weeks and it, this is free. And I was like, oh, this is so nice. So it's so cool to see this come to fruition and the sort of like down the line, here you are with yeah. the movie. No, I, I mean, I like I try to read everything just, uh, you know, I, I like when I first started writing, I would read all the screenwriting blogs and like and I, I tried to read like the bigger screenwriting books. And I, I mean, what I loved about Jason, it was just like very, very clear, it made things very like simple and accessible and used examples from other movies. And it's like even now that I've written my 18 screenplays and like, you know, the first 12 were terrible. and. It's just helpful to like remind myself of the things that 
you know, there's just like so many, it's just so much information. It's just great to like remind yourself of, of, you know, like all of these rules and, you know, it helps you like know when to break them. And, you know, it's just, it was a great resource and the podcast is a great resource in general. I'm sure Eric can like, he, he, he could back me up on like every, you know, every time something went wrong, it like felt like something we've heard about on the podcast before. <laughs> and it's like, okay, I've heard of this. Like, this isn't a death sentence. Like, we'll get through it. Yeah. And it just, it just really helps. Absolutely. Well, for our listeners who have, who actually don't know what the movie is, could you give us just like a brief synopsis of what the film is and also the origin of the idea besides Jason, yeah. of course? <laughs> So the movie is called Wine Club. It's about a couple that elopes to Napa or wine country, we call it. And they, they're not having the best experience. They kind of stumble upon this vineyard that's owned by this former child actor who's played by Steve Little. He played Stevie Janowski on Eastbound and Down. And this character, he, he used to be a teen sitcom star in the 90s, quit his hit show because he said Hollywood was filth. And he started this anti-Hollywood cult at this vineyard. And now flash forward like 20 years later, he's kind of bored of being a cult leader. He would, he, he finds out that they're rebooting his old show. And of course he would love to be a part of it if they asked him. <laughs> so it's basically about a cult leader trying to escape his own cult. Where did um, you get the idea for like, how did you, you know, where did you start? What's like the, the glimmering moment of like, Hey, this is a movie. So, I mean, I've heard like lots of stories from you know, filmmakers in general, but first time filmmakers. And it's like years of, you know, I, oh, I've had this idea kicking around. And like, I finally, you know, five years after film school, got my first feature made. It was like kind of the exact opposite for us. I was just talking to Eric and talking to you. And I was like, I just want to shoot something. And this was like July of 2021. And I was talking to Eric and Eric had been trying to put money together for another feature for years, similar to the story I was just, you know, mentioning and, you know, he, we were like, J Eric thought he had an investor. He had, he had won a bunch of grants and had some private investors. He thought he could convince one of the private investors to just give us money for another project. So we were like, you know what, we're going to try to get that money. We're going to write something that's shootable. We're going to shoot it in December, which was like six months away. We're going to shoot it in a week. We don't know what we're shooting, but we better come up with something because we're shooting it. So like we kind of took that week and like your book, Jason, like the book says, we kind of were combing through old ideas. We found an idea that I knew the end for, which was a great piece of advice in your book. And we kind of worked from there. It was like, okay, I could like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crank out the first draft and then we're just going to go, we're going to go at it probably up until the day we're shooting and kind of start development and pre-production at the same time. So I had I had written an, a pilot with a friend, Sean Spencer, who is now out of the industry. He works for the 76ers. <laughs> yeah. And it was just like, we had this character, the cult leader trying to escape his own cults because they're rebooting his old sitcom. And we kind of just worked from there. And then like, then we started to like kind of infuse our personal stuff. Like Eric really did elope to, to wine country. And we kind of, we put our heads together. And we're like, oh, we think we have a connection to a free vineyard. And yeah, it was like very like reverse engineered. <laughs> yeah. There were a lot of elements that we sort of knew, okay, if we are going to make a movie, this is what it has to include. It has to be shot at this point. We have to shoot it under this specific budget. So it was kind of like, do we want to make a movie? 
And if the answer is yes, here are the elements that it has to include. Yeah, Eric, Eric on top of Jason's book was giving me all these extra rule, rules of like, no more than three people in 75% of the scenes. Like, no walking around. Like, because, you know, no, not too much camera movement. It's like 75% daytime exterior. Like, just all of these kind of limitations, which I think, like, you know, can be intimidating, but it actually, like, really helped us, you know, focus on their writing and, you know, let's see if we can keep people's attention for an hour and a half with just, like, some people talking <laughs> in most of the scenes. Limitations I, like that are important. I think, totally. you know, you talk about so many of these big filmmakers who were like, you know, what do I have access to? You know, and I, I remember just, like, literally listening to Scorsese recently be like, we knew we could get, like, a taxi cab and we could shoot at night in New York for free. And then, like, <laughs> that's how they made Taxi Driver for under a million dollars in 70s, which is, like, a nutty thing. And obviously, you know, like, uh, this is much funnier than Taxi Driver. But it oh, is, like, you. <laughs> those limitations drive where your story can go in a way that I think, like, creativity is important. But sometimes it is, like, you're writing to a certain set of situations where, you know, you can get the best out of you when you know what you can't do. You know? Right. And I think that, like, helps even going into shooting. Like, when something would go wrong during production, you know, it was so hard to work under these limitations or write under these limitations in development that it's like, oh, we lost this location. Like, we got to, you know, okay, like, this is just an opportunity, really, to, to you know, something was thrown at me and maybe it'll spark a great idea that we never would have thought of. And we lost some sound for some scenes, which we were going to have oh. to, like, completely <laughs> ADR a few scenes. But it's like, okay, this happened. Let's uh, keep calm. Like, what, what, great ADR jokes can we come up with like off camera, you know? And oh, yeah, it's just, it's, you know, one thing led to another. It, it all like the whole experience like kind of compounded on each other and just made, I don't know. It's, yeah, it, it just, it was a great experience and we learned a ton about ourselves, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, how much pressure we can handle. Yeah. I, I, I'm in the midst of this. So I'm three weeks out from going to Panama to shoot a micro budget feature. Oh, wow. I, I have the... One of the reasons that I was like, okay, I can do this is because I it's the last time we'll have access to this location. We can only shoot before it gets into the rainy season. And like one of the first things Charles ever taught me was like, put just put the shoot date on the calendar and then you're going to back yes. into it. And so I was like, okay, I know that there's this factor and I know I want to write something around these two, this like two characters and these two actors that I know. And if I have them on board and I have my DP that I've worked with on board and I have this producer on board and we have access to this location, like let's just put our stake in the ground and go towards it. And I've been like running, developing and and like texting Jason all the time and be like, well, what if this happens? What if this happens? And like getting feedback. So Jason Hellerman, critical in all micro budget feature development, highly recommend. But it's, it's almost like instead of overthinking the and suffocating the story, it's like letting the story evolve and become what it should be and what it is wanting to be yeah. because we are going in with these expectations of like, it's going to, there are these parameters. Okay, let's play within this. And it's weirdly freeing. And I'm like, should I be this calm <laughs> at this point? And I think people were like, like a little worried about how common me and Eric, me and Eric were during the whole process. Like we had a rain out like of an eight day shoot, like which can destroy an entire eight. Like we had to raise money in the middle of the shoot for a ninth day. Oh my gosh. Um, and me and Eric just like showed up on set like the day. It was like the, I don't know if you remember like the day. It, it was like 
torrential rain like half that week in LA in December 2021. <gasps> and we were shooting in the mountains of Malibu. So like equipment was like sliding down the <gasps> hill and stuff. And like there was like risks of like mudslides and like, we're just like, we can't, we're not asking people to come to set today and we just canceled the day. But me and Eric just like came to set as the crew was like, trying to put together, put put everything back together and like account for the, the missing equipment and stuff. And we were calm. And I think like, I almost wondered if like people thought we didn't care. <laughs> like I almost, I was like, I hope this isn't backfiring. <laughs> but what yeah. The, just, did you ever get feedback from the people who were on set? Were they like, was that calm part of the joy of working on the film? Yes. I think, I think they really appreciated our dynamic, actually. One of the things that we tried to cultivate and our producers were of the same mind was kind of a no assholes policy, but like everyone's in this, nobody's in this for a huge payday. Everyone is getting paid and it was a professional set, which was something we took a lot of pride in despite having a really small budget. But everyone was just really happy to be there. A lot of people we talked to, you know, from the PAs on upward, everyone was, okay, I, I have this feature film or I have this project I want to make. It's like, it's really cool that you guys are able to do it. And so, you know, we were trying to treat everybody with as much respect as possible, knowing that it could be them, you know, in the director's seat next time around. So I think when there was a rain out, you know, we had to deal with L&D, we had to deal with locations that were trying to renege on their agreements, and then we had to pivot. But I think everyone seeing us huddle around the table, try to pivot, try to make the best of a bad situation, I think really helped with the morale of the of the crew and of the operation as a well. whole. Yeah, I mean, we were trying to like still make jokes and so like we're making a comedy. So like it should be, even when things are going wrong, which of course things are going to go wrong, like this should be as fun as possible or else what are we? I think me and Eric were just so grateful to like, we're like, we like, can you believe we're here? <laughs> like, we like, We've heard yeah. enough people on your podcast say like the thing they learned was like, oh, I wish I like took more joy in it or like took some time to like, you know, appreciate. It's like we went into that knowing like we were going to enjoy this. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's beautiful. So you had this amazing shoot, but I'm noticing that shoot was almost two years ago now. So can you talk to us a little bit about the post-production process? Because that's a place where a lot of smaller film go through an interesting journey. And like, what yeah. has that been like for you guys? So ours has been a little weird only because like, so our policy was like, we are not waiting for anyone for anything. Like to your piece of advice, like kind of pick your, like pick your shoot date and stick with it. Like we, the one piece of advice before we got shooting the movie, or we, we definitely got that advice from like people we really respected of like, oh, maybe you should like push and like raise more money. And like me and Eric are very open to any advice. Like we love collaborating with people, but that was the one where we were like, we are not compromising. We are shooting this day and we are not waiting for anybody. So like after, after we wrapped, we had an editor lined up who was on a Hulu project and like they, you know, they pushed once and they're like, oh, I got two more weeks on the, this project. And then that turned into another month. And after that, like we were still, we had this, we had this 23 year old kid, Luca, who he was a he did two days out of the eight days or something as like a second AC and it was like one of his first jobs and I don't think he's ever edited anything other than like his own a couple of his own short films and he was like he had a great experience and came up to our producer and was like oh I'd love to do some like assistant editor work like while we're waiting for this Hulu editor and so he like we're like all right let, let go go put this together. And, and then when the, the first time the Hulu editor pushed, 
a month, he was like, you know, I'd love to like do like kind of a rough assembly or something, uh-huh. just like kind of lay out the timeline. We're like, all right. And then the Hulu editor pushed another time and we're like, all right, you want to edit? Like, you want to fly out to New York and live with me for like a week and we'll just like edit. And so this kid ended up like editing the entire movie. Oh my gosh. Luca. And, What's his yeah, last name? Luca Stoichich. Lu- Luca Stoichich. I don't know wow. how to spell it, but I mean, <laughs> kudos for like him putting himself yeah. out there and like saying yeah, you saying yes to an opportunity and then look how it grew. I think that's something I mean, we he, talk- that's beyond saying yes to an opportunity. Yeah. That's saying like that's give he me. almost told them. He yeah. was like, I'm gonna cut your movie really for happy. you. Just like relax and let me do it. Yeah. I'm gonna like, yeah, I'm gonna like just 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 sit there. I will cut your movie, which is like kind of like I respect that a tremendous amount for well, we, production. We were really thrilled to hear that he was coming up to our producer and sort of saying, like, I really like this. Like this is a cool project. You know, I want to get involved in something like this, you know, beyond my original scope of work. So, you know, obviously we're we're excited by that. If you love it, you know. We want you kind of on board. So it was great. And now he's since edited another feature. So <laughs> hopefully we, we helped launch his career. And hopefully we launch our own careers. But he seems to be taking off already. So, <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So, so that part all came together like very quickly. Like we had a finished cut of the movie like around 12 months after we thought to make a movie uh, like with, without having an idea. And then we kind of broke our own rule. We ended up getting signed by Mosaic, mm-hmm. one of the managers who, Tova Silverman, who put five of her clients in the movie. Like, it just worked out. And she's like, you know, we, we finished the movie, wrote another script in like a, a week. We're like, we're going to do it again with her client, who is the, one of the leads of the movie, Taylor Ortega. Mm-hmm. And she read that script and was like, all right, I, I don't rep any directors yet, but like, I would love to, like, let's try to figure this out. We're like, okay. And then, so we had that going. So we were kind of willing to like wait and go the whole festival route. So we've been done for like, you know, since July of, uh, July or August of 2022. Mm-hmm. And then we started applying to all these festivals at the same time, starting to take general meetings and didn't get into any of the festivals. So <laughs> we only applied to like the kind of the major ones. But yeah, that's been like the holdup. And then we finally heard about the last festival, like, I guess whenever Tribeca notified people this year. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, all right, we're, let's, you know, we have our other stuff going. Like we've been able to like set up a few future projects. So, I mean, wine, like, not that we didn't care about this, but like this, you know, wine club during the festival submissions process kind of like took a back seat to yeah. some other stuff. But yeah, once the festival process started or ended, yeah, we're kind of like, how do we release this now? Yeah. Well, I mean, so. there's no doubt that this, film will find a home and I think it will probably recoup because I was talking to a producer recently who was discussing this idea of like too small to fail. I mean, with your overall budget and then looking at the long tail of on demand and streaming, like like it's just going to be something that will exist and people will find it. And then there's the word of mouth because it is such a joy. Oh, like I, I, I feel thank like you. it's, 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 gonna find its home. So like, what has that process been? Are you looking at self-distribution? Are you looking for a sales agent? So so we like kind of, in the spirit of like, do everything yourself, we kind of assume like we, you know, just from listening to every podcast ever recorded about the film industry, we kind Uh of like knew the state of the market and we were expecting like, you know, if we don't have like by their, the studio's definition of a big star, 
Like we know we're probably not gonna, you know, unless we turn out to be like a big festival surprise hit, like we're probably not gonna get a huge offer. So we knew we were probably looking at like a bunch of either low money or no money upfront distribution partnerships. So we kind of like prepared from the beginning to like at least be willing to self-distribute because a lot of it's just from like, well, why can't it work? Like with a certain kind of movie, like if we have these like, you know, 10 second out of context, funny, shareable clips, like maybe we can like get some word of mouth going and we made it for so little that we can recoup our money that way over many years. And then if like someone becomes a huge star in two years, like we'll get a little bump. So we kind of prepared for that from the beginning and we're very willing to, you know, obviously we're, if we did get into Sundance and somebody made us an offer, like we would have considered, you know, we were open to anything, but we're, me and Eric were kind of, we're like, let's find somebody who cares about this more than us. And then we'll talk. Other than that, we're just gonna, like my mom won't shut the fuck up about the movie. Like, I feel like she can sell like, (laughs) like a couple hundred grand worth of sales herself. Hell yeah. So like, yeah, we're kind of, we, we, our manager like kind of felt around, like she went out to two play, two distribution companies. We got two, two offers for either low or no low money or no money up front. And I think we're just going to, we're just going to put it out ourselves. So, <laughs> so you two have such like, uh, it seems like a rapport, a healthy rapport as creative partners. How did this come to fruition and how have you guys been able to like move through this process which with such trust and such a like clear vision of what you're doing and being on the same page. We've been working together for quite a long time, probably it's been well over 10 years at this point. We met in New York. I was going to film school and actually I guess paying tuition, Matt was getting the education yeah. Working on all the projects, but you know, luckily not paying the tuition. Yeah, I went to NYU, but NYU did not know about it. <laughs> so you're just like latching on to all the projects, and yeah, I, I feel I, like I every film school has that. I remember at USC, one of my best friend at USC, his roommate was on every project and knew everything, <laughs> and I was like, "You learned everything that we learned in this process." Yep, exactly. and also had a full time job and made made a living, and now I impressive. have no debt. <laughs> and and then it was just a lot of practice, you know, working on, you know, everything from a student short film with no budget where, you know, Matt's contribution is bringing in bagels to set to ones that he's writing himself. And then moving out to LA, we both worked at a production company and, you know, the projects just got bigger and bigger, basically. And so we were tested more and more. And we just found that we were both we both had a knack for producing and being really pragmatic and working together. We worked a lot on this on the show for the now defunct Verizon Go 90 platform called The Fifth Quarter. And that was kind of this insane shoot where we were doing way too much in you know, a tiny, tiny little shoot window. Matt wrote a lot of the episodes. I wrote a couple of the episodes. I was directing Matt. Matt's first directing credit was on that series. So we were sort of doing a little bit of everything and we kind of just fell into this routine and it was kind what of... What a great place to on. get reps in too because Verizon Go 90 was like Quibi before it was Quibi. Oh, it yeah. was like short yeah. form. My my partner is created Snatchers with his writing and directing partner. So that was like another thing that was on yeah. the platform. Then when season two happened, they put it out and then immediately Go 90 was canceled. Like or like yeah, they they similar. took it off the platform, but it was like you're 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 putting out produ- high quality production stuff in short form content, but you're basically making movies and TV. 
Yeah. I'll yeah. say as someone who's worked with you both too, the one thing I've always admired and honestly, like what I love, it's, it's such a collaborative set, you know, like from the short stuff you work on together to anything long form, the conversations are never, I want it to go this way. So we're doing it this way. It comes back around and it's always like, this is what I, you know, what do you think? What's the best way to do this? Here's our budget limit. Everything's very open. So it's no one's brainstorming outside of what we could pay for, what we could accomplish. Everything is kind of done in such a fun, truthful way. It's not something I've experienced most places. And I always think, you know, it's something I think everyone should adopt. It feels like almost like a writer's room, no matter what you're working on, because everybody kind of has a good idea or at least knows what they're working with. And, you know, I don't think many people do that, but I think it's what made what's made you guys so successful or like the ability to keep working too. Yeah. I mean, we, we try to like, you know, on, on wine club, we tried to make sure everybody knew they had the freedom to like, you know, we, a lot of people say it, but like we were taking jokes from anybody. I mean, we literally let our second AC edit the entire movie. So <laughs> yeah, just like, and just being honest with them about like what's going wrong, wrong in the moment. Like we lost a location the day before the, sh- the finale. So we had to like shoot that in a different location. And we got to a part where, you know, this were, you know, in the one day that we had to, you know, replan everything, we forgot that, oh, we were going to shoot this, this little bit of like a fight scene was planned for that other location. Like, how do we shoot this? And like, so we just asked, like, anybody have any ideas? And like the girl, like the girl who was playing the character, Jenny Jaffe was like, oh, what if we do this? And then she did it. And we're like, all right, great. <laughs> so we were like, yeah, we, we love to like collaborate with people. And yeah, it's, it, it really is best, best idea always wins. Like, I pride myself that I, I realize I'm wrong quicker than anybody else. <laughs> How many pages were you shooting a day? It was like, I mean, on average, I guess it was like, yeah. <laughs> but again, that like goes to, we we found this, we ended up not, I mentioned that we thought we had access to a free vineyard. We, we actually ended up paying for a much more expensive vineyard <laughs> by much more expensive than, than free. But uh, the free vineyard was in Napa and we just realized that like, it's much cheaper to just pay for a vineyard down in LA. But uh, yeah, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> many, um, many pages. Many, oh, yeah. the pages, yes. Yeah, but the, uh, oh, the, the, the reason why we wanted to pay for that vineyard so badly was because they had so many different looks that were like right next to each other outside. So like, you know, there's scenes in the movie that you would never r- realize are like 50 feet away from, from one another. And we just like, we're like, okay, it's daytime. We don't have to light anything. Like, okay, let's run over here, shoot some stuff, run over there, shoot some stuff. And like... We shot like 12 pages in a morning one time, like, or 15 or something, which coincidentally was the day we lost half the audio because I think it accidentally got deleted because it was like, oh, we have the, we switched cards in the middle of the day. And it's like, oh, we clearly have the audio for this day. But it's like, we shot like 22 pages that day. So our cheat for shooting really quickly, and this was something we did pick up on the fifth quarter, that Verizon show we were talking about, was actually shooting with two cameras. I know some, this is kind of illegal or, you know, there's some sacrosanct attitude around filming with one camera for some filmmakers. But I think for us, especially with the comedy and the amount of improv we were trying to do, getting that double coverage kind of in one setup was so critical and get let us capture so much, so much more quickly and really accelerated kind of the shooting. Not quite double, but like pretty close to it and enabled us to like really move on quickly from one from one yeah, setup it's, to another. It's definitely not the page count. It's the the amount of lighting setups. Yeah. 
We we interviewed Javier Grobe, who's the DP on The White Lotus season two, and they had so much shooting with two cameras to capture the sort of like minutia nuance of these yeah. many conversations sitting around a table. And and that I think it brings life to it in a very specific way. And that life also comes across with with your your script. How can you talk a little bit about improv? Like how much was there? Was everything scripted? Were you letting people play? Um everything was scripted. Like everything like we didn't want to rely on improv at all. Like we wanted to do improv because like Daniel Van Kirk and Taylor Ortega and Steve Little are like unbelievable, like just blown away by how good they are. Just they just throw things out and like they like you you can't throw enough of them and they, and they they're just always ready. And that was like how we we didn't know Taylor before the shoot, but like obviously knowing Steve from Eastbound and hearing that he's just the best improviser. And then we had worked with Daniel on our on our Go Ninety show and just like I've had to like. I was asked to leave the room because I was ruining takes by laughing at the stuff he was coming up with. But yeah, we, we, me and Eric were going to do our work and make sure everything is scripted to death. And then, but we told them, it's like, okay, as long as you come back to the, you know, cause we only had two takes. So it's like, or two to four takes really. So it was like, yeah, just get everything that's on the page, but feel free to go on a tangent and just at some point come back to it. And yeah, we like, you know, Daniel threw out a million jokes and some of them led to like entire story threads and stuff like that. And we were able to like adapt. And Daniel was also a writer on the project as well. We let him take a, you know, he was the first actor on board and we let him take a pass at the script. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, so so we knew he had two to four takes, like we had to move on, but we wanted to make sure these people were doing what they're great at you know, so like we had some like 11 minute takes of like Steve Little, like coming down that hill. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that, be, that being said, I think we did have to be fairly judicious and know when enough was enough because we did mm-hmm. have to move on. Yeah. And it's like, it's nice having the two monitors with the two cameras because you can kind of watch the movie as you're filming it, you know, looking at one monitor and then looking at the other monitor and kind of seeing how the edit's going to work almost in a live way. And when the when the actors are saying things and you're laughing and it's just like, this is so good, this is so true to the story, you know, you want to kind of let it go. And when it's sort of diverging or something that you feel is going to get cut in the edit, that's maybe when you want to move on. And I think that was kind of the attitude that we sort of dialed into. Especially with Steve, because Steve like would start every, like we noticed early on that the way Steve works, we didn't talk to Steve Little at all before the shoot. We didn't, we weren't a hundred percent sure he was going to show up. Oh <laughs> like, my gosh. You we just no didn't. Prep? No, no, nobody wow. met each other. There was no rehearsal. Taylor and Daniel and Jackie Emerson, who played Tova, we met the night before, or we got together the night before and just read the script once. But we had no idea how these people were going to like, you know, especially like the supporting cult members, like the secondary characters. We really just like asked Daniel and Taylor, like, who are your funny friends? We asked Jackie Emerson, who are your funny friends? Like, bring them down. And then we kind of had like loosely scripted storylines for them. Like there was a girl who was pregnant at the vineyard and like that couple. And then like the guy who reads the book of the font, like the guy, you know, the, the really culty couple. Like we didn't really know what they were going to do. And then, <laughs> and then they would, you know, the, each of their first scenes were like, okay, like this is the, yeah, we were just this like works. very, this works. <laughs> This could have gone very bad. (laughs) 
Can you talk like a little bit about right, just writing it in a week? I think it's like maybe the craziest thing you've said. <laughs> and yeah. just like, <laughs> like how, like what was that process well, like? Was it like passing the script back and forth? Or- so, I mean, I just, you know, Eric has a job, like a full-time job and like a kid. And I guess I have, I guess I have nothing. So <laughs> I just have a lot of time, at least at the time. And yeah, I've just written so many screenplays. Like I just, I never really wanted to direct. I never thought about it. I never thought like I could do it. So I just wanted to be a screenwriter. And this was like all a way to like kind of back into my screenwriting career. So like when I read your book, it's like, okay, this is like a process for, you know, how to do it in like however many, like 10 months or or a few months or whatever. But I'm like, okay, I'm just going to like really just sit here at the computer all day because I have to and like really still follow the same like schedule, but do it all at once, basically. It's just like a lot of not sleeping and a lot of talking to myself. <laughs> yeah, I think the book is like t- 10 weeks, but honestly... Like 10 whole, weeks, sorry. Yeah, it's like, well, whatever. It's like, just sit down and do it at your pace. I think so many people are so concerned with like, I need in three months to have something done. It's like, you'll go as fast as the story will let you go. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and a spe- you know. Which really know. helps when you know the ending. So exactly. it's yeah. where like, at least I know where I'm going. And then after that, it's like, after I do this kind of, vomit draft like me and Eric then tear it apart for months and we, there's like no ego between us like we d- we definitely follow that Thomas Lennon rule of like I put something in you take it out if I put it back in and you take it out again it's out like stuff like that yeah, uh, yeah but there's no there's no ego between us and yeah we're just like we just are both like obsessive about the script and writing and like we don't do drafts like if somebody wakes up in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. like with a joke, like I, I go run and put it into the the script and I'm like, no, Eric, read this one. <laughs> I changed one word. I'm so glad you do that because I do that. And I'm like, yeah. uh, updated, sorry, no, this is the one. I can't sleep until it's like he needs the right draft to read. Do you use Celtics like a live thing or are you in final draft and sending PDFs? Like how did so- you guys track it? We actually started in writer duet. I'm a little bit more, I guess, like technology embracing than Matt mm-hmm. is. I think Matt, yeah. that's a little bit more old school. I think we started in writer duet and we're kind of like passing things back and forth and the ability to do it live. But then I think we moved on to final draft because we were just, it was like every day. It was like, okay, I'm adding this. Here you go. Um, take a look at these changes in red, that kind of thing. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. We've got an Ask No Film School question that you're welcome to stay and talk about with us, especially since it seems like it's a film school related question. And one of you went to actual film school and then one of you went to, what do we call that? Peripheral film school? (laughs) Free film school. Yeah, Free Free film film school. school. I love the spectrum of film school, film school adjacent, film school in part, film school involved. Jason, did you go to film school? I went to two versions. I went to Penn State for undergrad. I went to Boston University for grad school. I have a crippling amount of student loan debt. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> nobody's more jealous of math than me. You should have gone to my film school. I know. <laughs> well, here, this is from Ant. I have been a frequent listener of the podcast and have always been intrigued by the cinema and working outside of my home country as well. India is a land of culture and variety, but we do not have any source like No Film School podcast that makes us understand the know-hows of the world of cinema. I wanted to know your opinion on a big step that I have gotten the chance to try. Vancouver Film School has a one-year diploma in film production, and I was wondering if you could help me put my figure out if, if it will help me put my foot in the door in Hollywood as a cinematographer and writer, or should I aim to go directly for the U.S.? 
Both places are extremely expensive, especially coming from a developing country, and student loans are definitely not helpful in this situation. Also, if there are any other avenues that you can help me out with, please let me know. That'd be a tremendous help. And that is from Nish. I have so many thoughts, but I don't want to go first if other people... (laughs) Go ahead, guys. I feel like, you know, you just made your own movie. Well, yeah, you got some advice in there. Maybe the harsh, maybe the harsh response would be probably not worth it in terms of making connections in Hollywood. Vancouver is not Hollywood. And it's unclear who those people would be that would have connections after coming from maybe like a Vancouver film school. So I don't know if it's worth it from that angle. The the thing that I got out of film school that I think was the most valuable piece was just learning from people who were better than me and just honing my craft and seeing what it's like to make a great piece of cinema from other people and being like, okay, mine is really bad. Why is mine so bad and theirs is so good? Okay, they're sitting up, they're staying all night in the editing room. Let me sit here next to them and watch what they're doing and ask them questions. And that was the value of going to film school for me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, there. I did make connections, but that was kind of a secondary thing. The connections you can make elsewhere, you can just literally move to LA and become a PA. That might be the most, you know, the highest value way of doing this versus like taking out debt. That would be maybe the the harsh version of the truth. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much I have to add to I mean, really all I did was like kind of, like I had a friend who was going to NYU and just tagged along and just met people like Eric. And, you know, Eric went on to like raise some money for a film and like somehow Eric gave, like gave me an opportunity to make this movie with him and kind of just like latched on to like, you know, I mean, I've, like obviously it was like years of working with him, but just just showing people that you're good at something, I think, like will, you know, just find just just kind of prove like prove your that's the word I'm thinking. Like I don't want to say prove your worth to like somebody, you know, but like yeah, just show your value to how you can help their. I don't know. I don't know what I'm really. Saying I'm just you know I'm lucky that be I got a to good tag partner, along. Be a yeah, good be, collaborative yeah. partner. Yeah, and if you you know if I don't know as somebody who didn't go to film school, I should just stay out of it. <laughs> I mean, like I, I pay money to go to film school. I, I I am an advocate for education. I, I do think it's way too expensive, and I don't know what Vancouver costs. I can tell you what BU and Penn State cost, and you know when you start paying seven and a half percent interest on those loans, you suddenly realize you're in a never-ending cycle of debt unless you make it to the big time, but Hey, here's fingers crossed. But you know, what I would say is like, maybe take a lesson from the story we just heard about your editor, right? The guy who is the PA on the set who knew how to do stuff and then came in to edit the rest of your movie. I think, you know, if you're in your home country and you can save a little bit of money, I know there's a ton of film productions across India. Maybe like the first move you make is to start going somewhere where a lot of that exists and working on those sets, right? You want to be a cinematographer and a writer. I think there's probably a lot of opportunities around there just to learn from people who are amazing at their craft um, before you make the immediate leap to Los Angeles, just because I know um, this is one of the most expensive cities in America. And certainly, you know, it's probably top 25 most expensive cities in the world. So just, you know, figuring out your craft, being able to work close to home, I think is a good idea before incurring debt. And there's just so many free resources now. And I think about the money I spent getting an MFA in screenwriting, a piece of paper that nobody in Hollywood has ever asked if I have, nor cared that I do have <laughs> when I bring it up. You know, there's free resources besides no film school, but, you know, seek them out, search them out. You know, we've got little books here, but if you can find stuff on any of these other websites or places, 
know, I'll give you like the Miracle on 34th Street lesson, you know, go find it anywhere. You know, we will happily direct you towards it. Learn as much as you can for free. Go to the local library, get out books, get on YouTube, watch a lot of tutorials. Film school is a really good place to learn the basics, but you're really going to learn so much more working on a set. So if you live near one of these places that makes movies, if you don't try and get closer there, you know, riskier, you know, less risky of a spend, get there and get a job. I learned so much more my first three or four months just being an assistant in Hollywood than I did in six years of college and grad school. And I, and to this day, it's like, That education was priceless. It literally enabled me to fix a script that I had had and sell it within a couple of months and like launch my professional career. So get working, I think is the, you know, my advice. I think the other factor in all of this is the unfortunate immigration situation in America. Like I'm a big open borders person and I feel like people should be able to move where they want. But like, unfortunately, America has some really ridiculous immigration policies that are totally stupid. I, I, I have to agree. I don't think Vancouver is the smartest move personally because like, I only know a couple of people from Vancouver Film School. They were really nice. I met them not in the industry. I met one of them and then like I met a bunch of his friends and they were great, but like they didn't get a bunch of relationships out of, of Vancouver. And then they all still had to relocate to LA for work. And so like, I think if you're going to go to school, you should go to school where the work is. And that's New I York. Agree. And LA has a little bit of work. In screenwriting, but like everybody else, like New York has more work than pretty much anybody except maybe Georgia at this point. So like you want to get to the place where you're going to work as fast as you can. And then the other thing you can get out of school is that web of relationships that can help you stay in the country. So like I know a lot of people who went to film school in New York or L.A. and then over the course of those three or four years built up the relationships that enabled them to navigate the visa process thereafter. And it can take a few years to do that, but I know a significant number of people. And then the other thing is I would look at the publics. Like there are public grad schools that cost about a third what the private grad schools cost. And I think that those are really worth considering because, you know, in an ideal world, I think, yeah, if you're in Ohio and you can just move to Illinois, to Los Angeles, you should. But with international logistics, I think sometimes a school, because we do have education visas, can be a great way to like get here, get your life started. You can often work under your education visa. A lot of people Mm -hmm. don't know that, but if you do it as part of an internship, you can be paid in that internship. And so you can start working, start developing relationships, start all of that process under an education visa. And usually you get a year after your education, after you graduate to stay. So if you're in a four-year program, that can be five years. And that five years is a lot of runway time to build up relationships in a city that can hopefully help you navigate the visa process to stay. Vancouver's a great place. You should go to Vancouver Film School if you want to stay in Vancouver. If you're like, oh, I want to be in Vancouver. This is the city for me. I need the outdoors. I need to hike. I need the weed. Vancouver. But like, if you're like, oh, I'm trying to make my move to Los Angeles or New York where, where cinema happens, then you should go to Los Angeles or New York where cinema happens directly. Or as Jason was saying, you should find the place where cinema is happening. I mean, you should go to Mumbai, Bombay, and get going in that industry if that's the ladder you want to climb. You know, it's weird, but the film industry is not one where you can move ladder to ladder very easily. Like, I know tons of people who climbed sort of like to the mid-level in one ladder and were like, oh, and then I'll be able to go from LA to New York or New York to London. And it's like, you can do that at the top level. Once you're at the top, you can go London, New York, Austin, whatever. But in mid-level, you kind of can't. So you want to climb the ladder you want to get to the top of. And and you don't want to have to start over in 10 years on another ladder. So if you want to be in Hollywood and New York, I mean, and US-based media, get to New York or LA as soon as you can would be my vote. 
I, I totally agree with that. And having been in film school for a year where I did make great connections in New York, but then having relocated to LA, simply being in the mix, which is something we talk a lot about on the podcast and building networks by by doing and creating and collaborating together. Like it, it's a little bit weird to have to think so far ahead of like, well, where do I want to really establish and build my career based on a location? Because it does mean making decisions that are not a sure bet, moving away from family, moving away from your home. But it is who you start to build those relationships with early on that you then grow with. And that does in a lot of ways and most, especially as like a cinematographer, for example, I feel like it does really matter being boots on the ground with people. All right. So where can everybody find more about Wine Club? You could follow the Instagram page for now at, at Wine Club Movie. And we'll, we, we, we just started posting some clips and we'll let everybody know when, when it's coming out. We're hoping sometime in November. All right. And Gigi, Jason, where are you guys on the internet? I'm at Lost in Graceland. And if you're interested in supporting my Panama movie, look up An Island on Seed and Spark. And I'm at Jason Hellerman on Twitter and Jason at nofilmschool.com. Keep those emails coming. We've got lots of cool screenwriting articles for you, including a relaunch of our How to Write a Screenplay in 10 Weeks book with all new graphics and (laughs) a new opening intro written by yours truly. But, you know, as always, happy to help guide you and um, it's always amazing to have, you know, talk to you, Matt and Eric, and happy to have you guys on the podcast and excited for the world to see Wine Club. Thank you so much for for having us. We we really appreciate it. Yay. Thank you. And Charles, thank how about you? you? So oh, I, I don't know. I'm not really on the internet. I do Mastodon sometimes. I quit Twitter again. So Charles Hayne <laughs> on the places, but I'm not really on the places. You're here with us. Yeah, I'm here on the podcast. All right. I'll see everybody next week. See you Bye. guys. Thank Thank you you so much.